We are in Luke chapter 24, verse 1 to 2. That's what we're looking at. And uh, you should have an outline there that says, Jesus is risen. Now, two years ago, uh, during Easter, someone asked me this question. Why is it important that Jesus had to rise from the dead? The person who was asking it was a Christian. And I've thought about that question, and I, since then, actually, every Easter, I do think about it. And in fact, not just on Easter, I think about it all the time. Because it's a very important question. Why is it important that Jesus had to rise from the dead? Why couldn't he just have saved us, so to speak, just by dying? Why did he have to rise? And as I've thought about this question, I've come to realize that different people actually phrase the same question differently. Sometimes we ask it like this. I know Jesus died on the cross in my place for my sins, but what has Jesus rising from the dead saved me from? Or we may put it like this. How does the resurrection of Jesus benefit me as a follower of Jesus today and in the next life? That's how some people ask that same question. Or we may ask it the way someone last week asked my wife. Why do you Christians celebrate Easter? What is the point? She comes from a Muslim background. I thought, what a great question. Why doesn't anyone ask me those questions when I'm having a chat with them? What a wonderful question to be asked by somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And I thought about the many variations of that, because they all ask about the same thing. And so I thought about how do... If I was to summarize all these questions, I think I would summarize them like this. Does the resurrection of Jesus matter? And if it does, how should I respond to it today? And that was implicit, actually, in what Brother Rob was talking about. That either these facts are true, and if they are, we must live by them. But if they are not true, we must process them and reject them, of course. Serious rejection, as I'll show you in a moment. So my goal today is to help you really respond to the truth of Jesus rising from the dead. Uh, by looking at this first eyewitness account of the resurrection. So turn with me to Luke 24. Uh, verse 1. In your outline, there are three things I just want to share from this passage. And the first truth we see from this passage is that death comes to all of us. Death comes to all of us. So it is early hours of Sunday morning, probably 4 a.m., right? The Jewish Sabbath has been over only for a few hours. But the women, the women, are on the way to the tomb of Jesus. Look before the beginning of chapter 24, has told us that these women are from Galilee. And on Good Friday, they saw Jesus crucified, and they saw him buried in a nearby tomb. Now, they are on the way to the tomb to finish the, the, the burial preparations, which couldn't be done on Friday because of Jewish restrictions around the Sabbath. Uh, around the Sabbath. And so we read this in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. We imagine as these women walked to the tomb, their faces are chiseled with grief, aren't they? On Good Friday, they saw their beloved rabbi brutally murdered. Now, some of you here have experienced going for a body viewing. 
It is the last time you are going to see the first of your loved one before they are buried. Those are heartbreaking emotions, moments, aren't they, when you're doing that? You've ever done that before? They are heartbreaking emotions, moments filled with raw pain. It is not just a pain of loss. We've lost someone, and now we're going to go see the body there lying dead. It is also the haunting reminder that actually death comes to all of us. When I take a funeral, that's, I'm saddened that we've lost someone like we did with our dear sister Dorothy last year. But at that moment, I can't help to think that that could be me, that will be me one day lying there in that coffin. The reminder there, death comes to all of us. And this is what the women are feeling here as they go to this tomb. They are are broken. Yes, they've lost Jesus, but they are broken for themselves because they can see this is the reality of life. Man lives to die. And we need to be reminded of this truth, isn't it? Because this is not something we want to hear. You don't want to be reminded that any moment from now, you, you may die, you will die, and your corpse will need cream for burial. And you might even say, well, I came for resurrection Sunday. This is a depressing thing to be reminded of. But it is God reminding you this truth. And God is reminding this truth so that you can ask yourself the most important question all of us can ask ourselves in our lives. Am I prepared for death? Are you prepared for your death? You prepare for for many things in your life. Exams, new job, weddings, going on an exciting first date. But are you prepared for what awaits you in the next life? If you were to die today, will you, are you confident you'll be gathered in the loving arms of the Jesus you loved and adored while here on earth? Or will you suffer everlasting torment for rejecting Jesus? That's the first question Resurrection Sunday asks as we see these women going to the tomb of Jesus. And many of us are quick to say, yes, of course I'm going to be with God. But the Bible is clear that the way to enter heaven is through the narrow gate. The narrow gate who is Jesus himself. Acts 4 verse 12 says this. Salvation is found in no one else. No one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. In other words, heaven is only for people who place themselves at the mercy of God to save them from sin because they see in Jesus, they know that Jesus has suffered the wrath of God in their place. And it isn't just the fact that they recognize that they have asked God to forgive them of their sins and God has performed that heart transplant. It's brought about the second genesis. They've been regenerated. They now live with new affections for Jesus. Every day they are growing to love Christ more and more and more. And the people around them are seeing the evidence of the resurrected life of Christ. A work in them. Only they can say they are prepared for death. Are you prepared to die?
If the answer is no, then you must look at this evidence again of the resurrection. And come, as Brother Rob reminded us, come to that position really of recognizing this is the truth. And come before the first of God in true repentance so that he can conform you to his will. So that he can give you a new life. Now, as we look at these women going here, and as we recognize that death comes to all of us, it does raise an important question, doesn't it? It raises this question to me. If death really comes to all of us, why all this fuss about Jesus dying? I mean, after all, isn't this the evidence that Jesus, he's just like one of us, he's dead. So why the fuss about the death of Jesus? Well, that brings us to the second observation. Death comes to all of us, but... And that's important, isn't it? But the death of Jesus is unique. It is unique. Let us press the play button on this story. So the women have come to the tomb, right? They're approaching the tomb, and as soon as they arrive, their problems multiply. Let's read verse 2 to verse 3. And they found the stone right away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. Amen. The tomb of Jesus, you see, at this time, like all expensive tombs at this time, has been quarried out of a rock, right? And it's been sealed with this large disc-like stone under Pilate's, Pontius Pilate's orders. It was closed in when he was buried. But to the surprise of the women we're seeing there in verse 2 to 3, the tomb is empty and the body is gone. And to make matters worse, they now have unexpected visitors from another realm. Look at verse 4 to verse 5. While they were perplexed about this, they were wondering what's going on with this tomb. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men, the angels, said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? It's a day of surprises, and the angels have caught the bag of surprise. The women are surprised the tomb is empty. The angels are surprised the women are here at all. They can't seem to understand why these women would come to a tomb of all places to look for Jesus. Jesus can't be here because he's risen now. He told you so. They will say, let's read on verse 6. He's not here, but has risen. He's not here, but has risen. These are surely the sweetest words in human history. Death visited Jesus like it does for all of us. But death couldn't hold him down. Jesus defeated it. But here's the point in the story here. It's not that just Jesus is risen. It is why he has risen. Look at verse 6 to verse 8. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. 
The angels are saying, Jesus arranged his own death and resurrection. This is why the death of Jesus is unique. He has come to die in our place. So that by rising from death, he could defeat death for all who trust in him forever. You see, death is not part of God's primary purpose for creation. God created us to live without death. To live with him forever. Not to live under the shadow of death. But sadly, since sin entered our world, our world, human, all human beings now live separate from God. And the result is death in every dimension of life. We die physically. We also sp- die spiritually. Because we are disconnected from the very life of God, so we are spiritually dead. And we are doomed to remain like that forever. Therefore, we are eternally dead. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. That is the human condition every single person is born with. But the good news of this passage, the good news of Resurrection Sunday, is that God has come in Jesus to die for our sins, and the resurrection of Jesus now plugs us back into God. It gives us new life for all who trust in him. We have become reconnected to God. So that even when we die physically, we can now look forward to life after death with God forever. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, this stuff never gets hold. What God has done for us in Jesus is mind-boggling. But there is more to it than that. You see, Jesus rising from death begins a new reign of life on earth. God is now making this world Not just great again, right? But new in Jesus. And this new world God is creating will come into full, begins at the resurrection of Jesus and comes into full operation when Jesus appears again to create the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. It is important you understand that something fundamental in the history of the universe took place on resurrection Sunday. The reign of death is over. The reign of life began in Christ Jesus, that first resurrection Sunday. A new humanity, as we learned about last Sunday evening, the second Adam, ushers in a new race on his resurrection. And all who are in him now live forever in him. And guess what? All these who are in Jesus now will one day be raised to new life after death with new resurrected bodies. And this new resurrected body will now live with Jesus in that new heavens and the new earth forever because Jesus rose from the dead. This is why the death of Jesus is unique. Yes, death comes to all of us, point one, but the death of Jesus is unique. It is unique because Jesus chose to die and give us these amazing benefits of life with him. This is why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. This is why it's my favorite day of the year. It is my favorite day of all time. Because it is a new world in Jesus. The dawn, as I said, of a new humanity in our second Adam. I thought about this. I thought, what do non-believers do on Resurrection Sunday? I can't think of any other place to be than with God's people. 
Because the good news of Easter is that if you are in Jesus, you share in this blessing. If you truly trust in Jesus, if you truly surrender your life to Jesus, you have life with God now, and this is your life. In Christ. And if you do not know Jesus, you haven't come to that point of full surrender, you can have this hope, this resurrection hope. This can be your life. Now, maybe you are hearing me this morning and thinking, okay, I want to believe Jesus rose from the dead. But if I'm being honest, I haven't come to that position of full surrender. And the reason is simply that I have some doubts about Jesus rising from the dead. I think it is good that you are honest about your doubts. I think there's a lack of critical thinking nowadays. It is good that you're honest about your doubts and you're looking at things and asking serious questions. Because you see, you're not the first person to have doubts about Jesus. Jesus rising from the dead. Even Jesus' first followers doubted. We see it here. They initially found it hard to believe until they checked out the evidence. And that's what you need to do if you have any doubts about Jesus. And that brings us to the final truth we learn here, isn't it? Death comes to all of us, truth number one. But, that's the good news of truth number two, the death of Jesus is unique. So how do we respond to this unique death and resurrection? Well, we must check it out and marvel at it. Let's rejoin the women in the story, right? They are now on their way, in verse 9, they are now on their way to tell the disciples what they had seen for themselves, with their eyes, the stone rolled away, and what they heard from the angels. And we can imagine they are very excited uh, at the news of Jesus being alive, and they just can't wait to tell the disciples, this is great stuff, it's happened, Jesus is alive, right? But sadly, when they get there, the news falls on deaf ears. Let's read verse 9 to verse 11. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. When Luke says the disciples think the women are telling an idle tale, he's using, this might be of interest, my brother here, he's using a medical term there for his time, which means delirious or crazy or insane. The disciples believe the women are out of their minds. In our day, we would say, give them some drugs, that would definitely calm them down. In their culture, they would say, lock the doors. Don't let these women go around telling all those sorts of stories. That would just get us in trouble. They are crazy. And we need to pause here and reflect on this point. Because, you see, we are so used to hearing the Easter story every year that we miss the most important point of the Easter story. And it is this. No one, I repeat, no one expected Jesus to rise from the dead. The women went to anoint the corpse. The disciples didn't even believe the first account. When everyone dies, they remain dead. And everyone accepted that. The hope had gone. In fact, to the disciples, any talk of Jesus being alive is a shameful lie. They are ashamed of what the women are saying. 
That's why they're calling them crazy. You can imagine being there. Ah, she's crazy. Oh, I always thought there was nothing wrong with that. Sit down, please. Sit down. Peter will check this out. We can't hear from you. In fact, why should we bother? You're women after all. In those cultures, women's testimony was not very highly esteemed. See, when everyone dies, they remain dead. So to the disciples, any talk of Jesus being alive is a shameful lie. And actually, and of course, this is the way people think the same, don't they? This is the way people think in our culture, in our day. That's how people think when they think of the resurrection of Jesus. It's a shameful lie. Now, I know you don't use the words shameful lie. But if you doubt that Jesus has truly risen, if your life is not in conformity with that fact, the truth is that deep down you think it's a shameful lie to you. And I just want to say this. In some way, that is the right way to think of it. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, then Jesus is a con man, isn't it? And he's a shameful liar. And us sitting here is not some sort of investment in social capital. Us sitting here is despicable. Why do I say that? Because people have died for this man, Jesus. People have died believing Jesus died, rose from the grave. John, Chow, John Alan Chow last year died trying to reach the center list because of the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. John Bradford matters back in church history. John Bradford burned at the stake. Kramer, others. The book is there, singing in the fire. You can read about all the matters that have, some of the matters that have died for Christ. For this claim that Jesus rose from the dead had propelled their lives. So we, this is the serious issues. If Jesus is not alive, he's a fraud. And he's not God. And, but we can say more than that, he's a shameful person if he's not alive. And I would encourage you that if, if, if Jesus is not alive, you must not only run from Jesus, you have a moral responsibility to tell others to run from Jesus. You must actively warn others about it. As Brother Rob wonderfully reminded, I think he must read my sermon notes. <laughs> we cannot be neutral about this issue. Jesus does not give us the luxury of neutrality. You either believe Jesus is alive or you run away faster than Hussein bots. That's the choice. But you see, the disciples soon discover that Jesus is alive. <clears throat> and that is the point of this story. And their lives were brought into conformity with Jesus. Because the other flip side of the coin is that if Jesus is alive, as Brother Rob reminded us, it changes everything, beloved. It really does. And as I look around here, I see people wavering between now. But really, there's only two poles to live. Radical conformity to Christ. Or Jesus is a con man and you have more responsibility. He doesn't, leave, he doesn't give you an option of any between life. Afin, afas. No, no, no. You can see it from the lives of the disciples themselves. Once they find out the truth. The point is that Jesus is alive and the disciples soon discover that Jesus is not anybody 
is somebody, isn't he? He's God with us and he rose from the dead. Luke tells us that Peter hears and follows the evidence. Let's go with Peter. Look at verse 2 of our final verse there. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves. And he went on marveling at what had happened. Peter has gone, I read the evidence after a while, I guess he's listening and he's thinking, yeah, I think I better check this out. I, I gotta check it out. It, it's coming back to him where Jesus himself said, perhaps in Mark 8. Right? Just after Peter makes the confession, we'll look at that next week. So, so he gets up, goes to the tomb, checks out the evidence, and he sees for himself, he's completely stunned. It is beginning to dawn on Peter that Jesus has indeed risen, as the woman has reported, as the angels themselves said. But the point I want to encourage you this morning is that if you have any doubts about Jesus, you must follow the example of Peter. If you, you know, you're up in church, up in earth, you're still wavering about who this Jesus is, you really haven't come to a full fundamental acknowledgement that he is who he says he is, because once you do that, it will transform your life completely. So if you're wavering there, I say, what you need is to sit down and really look at the evidence afresh. Follow the evidence concerning Jesus. And I would say, God is not against evidence-based conclusions about matters of faith. Faith in Jesus is not a leap into the dark and then trusting God later. You are not meant to pack your brain with your car before you enter the church. God does want you to seriously think hard about these issues. Faith means trusting in Jesus based on what we know about Jesus in the revealed word of God, the Bible, in history, general revelation, and of course in personal experience. God has given you all this domain of evidence, all being subjected to the revealed word of God. It is okay for you to genuinely ask, is this Jesus for me? Or it is okay to ask, I've heard Jesus all my life in church. I need to come to that position. Will my life conform to him or not? It's okay for you to ask that question. And why should my life radically change? How can I be sure that this is what he demands from me? You should ask one of those questions and investigate the answers in the word of God for yourself. You must make an informed decision about this thing. Examine the evidence. If you are now a skeptic, read the Bible, of course, and historical evidence from secular historians like Josephus, Suetonicius, and Pliny the Younger, and others. And if you are a nominal sort of just Jesus in and out, sit down with the Word of God. Sit down with, the, with, 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 with John, with the, the book of John. Read it for yourself. Just spend a whole day examining it and see what is it that Jesus demands for a truly converted life to be like. And of course, if you have questions, come and see me afterwards. We can go through it step by step together. We can examine the evidence, study the Word of God together, study the life of Jesus, and just help you to come to a clear understanding of where you are in your walk with Him, or who this Jesus is. But remember, Jesus does not give you an option of just Sunday attendance. While your life lives far from him. Jesus does not give you an evidence of affin afar. He doesn't give you, doesn't give you sorry, uh, an option 
of just staying on the fence. In fact, by you staying on the fence, you already make a decision about Jesus. Look up there. And here's what I think you discover when you start thinking seriously about Jesus. You find that Jesus is the only one who defeated them. You see, throughout history, there have been many leaders, prophets, thinkers, and scientists. But once they got into the grave, they could not climb out. Death swallowed them. Except Jesus. His tomb is empty. It is not just empty. Jesus said, it will be empty. (laughs) Right? This is what makes his claim truly unique. He said it and he made it happen. How about that? And when you look into this Jesus, you discover also that all religions are not the same. They are not the same. We are not blind people touching and feeling different parts of some huge African elephant. We are not. Some people say that. You just touch a little bit, we are all blind. You know? Except someone, of course, knows he's an elephant. Who's that? All right. <laughs> Think about that. We are not like that. Far from it. You see, when we line up Jesus against all the religious leaders and wise men of history, Jesus towers above them all. Someone has said it like this. Buddha never claimed to be God. Moses never claimed to be Yahweh. Muhammad never claimed to be Allah. Yet Jesus Christ claimed to be the true and living God. Buddha simply said, I am a teacher in search of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Confucius said, I never claim to be holy. Jesus said, who convicts me of sin? Muhammad said, unless God throws his cloak of mercy over me, I have no hope. Jesus said, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sin. It is normal to have that. But be sure you are rejecting the real Jesus of the Bible. You cannot sit on the fence on this one. Open up the Bible. Look at what it demands. The repentance it demands. And believe or reject or run away far from Jesus. What about those of you who are followers of Jesus? What does the resurrection of Jesus demand? Well, it demands that we marvel like Peter, doesn't it? Let's read verse 12 again. It's wonderful. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went on marveling at what had happened. I, I, I think he must have been smiling. I just picture Peter, right? He looked at this and wow, he did it. He did it. After a while, he did it. He did say, did he? And you can imagine just shaking his head. It happened. When you see something so wonderful, you're just trying to process it. I just picture myself there. And of course, John was also there, wasn't it? We read from the other accounts. Peter is amazed, isn't it? Because he's beginning to realize that if Jesus is truly alive, oh, my life has changed. I've been working with God all along. Oh, goodness me. He's beginning to realize all these things. I have a best friend. My best friend is God. Wow. He's excited. He realizes what he has. And what it means for us is that 
It means for us that all who truly trust in Jesus have a resurrection hope that Peter has. It's instructive that when we go into 2 Peter, he says that, isn't it? For those who share the same hope we have, we read that in 2 Peter chapter, 2 Peter 1, verse 1. Those who have an equal standing of faith with ours, we read in the Bible study. And that's what it means. It means in Jesus we have a resurrection hope that goes beyond the curtain, as the hymn writer says, and touches the very throne of our Heavenly Father. We have a hope that made D.L. Moody say, one day, you hear that I am dead. Do not believe it. I will then be alive as never before. If Jesus is alive and he is, and if you are in him, you have that hope that D.L. Moody has. The hope that says we belong to a better world. The world of our risen Christ, of dazzling angels in feast of gathering. A world of an eternal weight of glory. That's what Resurrection Sunday means for us. And this hope, of course, says to me, don't hold too tight to the things of the world. You must now live for the new heavens and the new earth that awaits you. This hope of Jesus being alive compels me to spend and be spent for the gospel. To live as a person who will see Jesus face to face. It draws my heart to the words of John Bradford who said, Dear beloved, remember that you are not of this world. That Satan is not your captain. That your joy and paradise are not here. That your companions are not the multitude of sinners around you. But you are of another world. The reason Christ is your captain. Your joy is in heaven. Your companions are the fathers, martyrs, patriots, prophets, apostles, and dear saints of God. Now, dead and living, who follow the Lamb for those who are dead, wherever he goes. This is the hope we now have in Christ, isn't it? These are the blessings of his resurrection and much more. This is what gets me up in the morning. This is what we live for. And may Christ help us to marvel at the blessings of his glorious resurrection. And keep our eyes firmly on him, our risen champion. The angels have told us plenty, haven't they? And we believe their testimony here. He is not here. <laughs> he is risen. Jesus is risen for us. And you who are Anglican will say, He is risen indeed. Amen.